All right, well, today we are continuing through the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, excuse me, and we're talking about crime and punishment. We have been talking about laws. In the last few chapters, 17 and 18, we talked about kings, priests, and prophets. And today, we're going to just review some things that we went through um, specifically in Leviticus and a lot in the book of Numbers, excuse me. And we're also going to look at some fundamental truths about our legal system, about how laws work in general, how they're supposed to work, how they were originally designed, how they have been working in all of human history for all of humanity, and how they're trying to change it today and why. So we've got a lot to unpack in a few short verses. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, perfect, without error, Lord, eternal. We find that nothing is new, Lord. And as we continue to find these foundational truths, they remind us, they anchor us, Lord, to what matters and what doesn't matter. And it also inoculates us, Lord, to the nonsense that other people are trying to to redefine and redo. And you just show us, Lord, what things really matter and how they matter. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, verses 1 through 3. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God has given you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourselves and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. So we're kind of, kind of at a loss if you don't really know the context, what he's talking about. In Deuteronomy, or excuse, in Numbers, um, in Joshua, we're going to see this happen. We have these cities of refuge. Now, we talked about this a lot in Deuteronomy because they had established three, uh, three cities on the other side of the Jordan, the, the part that Moses is in now, before crossing over to the promised land, they put three cities of refuge. Now, these cities are places that if you accidentally hurt or killed someone, you could go and you could hide there and you could live there until a certain amount of time, until the great high priest dies or the family, you make um, arrangements with the family or whatever happened to to be able to escape. But you had these places that you could go to. The reason you needed these places was because the Goel, the, the redeemer of blood in the family, he had an obligation to avenge the fallen family member. Remember at this time, and going into the book of the judges, there's no sheriffs, there's no judiciary. Everything's handled within the family, within the tribe, and within... Uh, I can't say the church, but within the, with the priests, or with the high priest. If you want to learn more about cities of refuge, we're going to talk about them a little bit, but you'll see it in Numbers chapter 35, in Joshua chapter 20, and then previously in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We already saw them being made. Now Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's being told, when you guys go over to Jordan, remember, you're not, you, I can't go with you. You go into the promised land, as has been prophesied already, you guys are going to have victory over these great many nations, 
and you're going to take over, you need to have at least three more cities on the other side. Now, some other principles that we're seeing. When you make these cities, you need to have roads to them, easy access. People need to be able to go to these cities of refuge. Because if you were just a really nasty person, you're like, oh, well, you killed my family member. You put barbed wire around there and gates. You don't let anyone make their way over there. No, God's saying you need to have an easy way to get to the city of refuge. You need to make it geographically located so everybody has an equal opportunity to it. You can't hide all the cities of the refuge far in the north or far to the south where only a certain amount of people can go there. You got to have a place that's easy for any person to go there. Now let's continue in verses 4 through 7. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so he dies, so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long and kill him, though he is not deserving of death since he has not hated the victim in time past. Verse 7, Therefore I command you, saying, You shall separate three cities for yourself. Now, this is when we talk about the nitty-gritty. That means the real things of life, the things that aren't so clear all the time. And the Bible knows this. I've shared this before in times past. If we commit a crime and we go to the court and we're before the judge, what do we want? Mercy. I want... The cop pulls me over for speeding. It's like, come on, I was driving safely. Can't you just give me a warning? But let's use my favorite analogy. Where is the cop when I'm being cut off? Every morning I go to work. And every morning I got to stand in line. I'm in my vehicle in line to try and get on to 170 to turn right. And it is backed all the way up to the donut store. And every single time... I'm within 100 yards of the exit. I've been waiting patiently for 10 minutes. What happens? Somebody jumps right in front of me. Tom says it's him. Now, (laughs) right there at the last minute, are they legally allowed to do that? Technically, they are. you're, You're yielding to the traffic. They're technically allowed to. But I waited in line for five minutes patiently. I'm a good Christian, and this Satanist, communist, has cut me off. What do I want? Where's the cops? I want him pulled over. And in my flesh, I want him beaten on the side of the road. But but the other day, I was late for work. What did I do? You guys know. I don't have to confess it. That's between me and Jesus. Hypocrite. I was an absolute hypocrite. I found my spot, jumped right in front of it, got in line, probably saved five minutes by not waiting. Notice how our scales, how we judge things, completely change because of our circumstances. We want complete vengeance in another area, and we want complete mercy in another. Well, God knows these things. The Bible knows these things. And so here, they're making provision, but God understands the hearts of men. Hey, if you don't mean to kill someone, you ran a red light because you were sleeping. You worked 
four days straight to try and provide for your family, double shifts, and you're on your way home and you fell asleep at the wheel, you ran through the line and you killed somebody, what do you want in front of the judge? Mercy. But if it's your wife that is the victim, what do you want? Vengeance. I want, I want more than vengeance in that case because I'm a, I'm a man of like passions. Well, here there's an opportunity in that particular case. The person that commits that murder, they have an opportunity to get to the city of refuge. If they're in the city of refuge, they are safe. Life's not going to be the same anymore, no. They can't go back home, no. But they can live a full life there in the city of refuge. What does the Bible also know? The husband of that wife is out for blood. And he is coming. And it makes a way. And it, and it says there, hey, that's, what, that's his right. That's what he's going to do. Now, the law, and this is where we're going to get to be, the, how this applies to us, the law has no mercy. The law is black and white, how it's written. And we're going to see that here in a little bit. Let's read verses 8 through 13. Now, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers, and if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three. Lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Verse 13, your eye shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. It is important to God who is guilty and who is innocent. It is important to God that there is just scales. You know, we have people, and I, I have uh, friends outside this fellowship and in this fellowship that are from countries where bribery is the norm. You don't know somebody. You don't have connections. You can't pay somebody off. You're getting nothing. And you're like, oh, you mean you won't go to jail? No, I mean like you can't even get the registration for your car unless you're bribing somebody. You can't get a good ho- a bed at the, at the hospital if you're not bribing somebody. It's unjust. And we are very blessed here in America. Now, that being said, there is still some injustice, things that are not right. Why? Because man, us, all of us, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, communist, monarchist, Democrat, liberal, conservative, Republican, man, female, everybody that tries to pretend there's other things besides those two things, we're all deceitfully wicked. Who can know the deceitful heart, the Bible says? No one. And so when you have people involved, there is going to be injustice. Now, God knows these things, and he's saying that to him, hey, do this right because he does not want innocent blood to be shed. He doesn't want people that are not guilty to be harmed. That's in verse 10. But then he gives this exact illustration. He says through Moses that if somebody has 
a planned attack, premeditated murder, planned it out, hates a guy, ambushes the guy, murders a person in cold blood, and then wants to say, no, 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 it wasn't like that, and then flee to the city of refuge, it is expressly written here that you get your city elders, you go to the city of refuge, you find that person in the city of refuge, and you bring them back for justice. And I find it fascinating there that God has to remind us, do not have pity on them. It says, don't even let your eye, verse 13, your eye shall not pity him. Why does it say that? Your eye shall not pity them. This is going to get to some fundamentals of our legal system worldwide for all of humanity. The criminal judiciary system is made to deter crime and punish crime. It's made for both. It is to deter crime. Somebody is to understand, society is to understand, that if you do a particular crime that our society has decided is wrong, there will be consequences that will hurt you. Don't do it. If someone decides to do that anyway, there are consequences that will hurt you. That is justice. You cannot go into the world and causing harm to other people, all kinds of harm, and have just get away with it. And just get away with it. Why, why is this important? Why do we have to spend time on it? Because there is a segment of our society that believes that is fundamentally wrong. They believe, when you go down to the core value, that people are fundamentally good and that the system is making them bad. They're, they believe that things like the Bible are making them bad because we're teaching them that they're bad and they're not actually bad. So just give them a break. This has never been known. Let's just take the Bible, which is the number one proof text for all truth in the world. But let's, let's just go into crazy land and not even use the Bible. That has never been the case in all of human history of any society on the planet, ever. But now they figured it out. It has never been the case in all of human history of any functioning society. And now they're going to change it. Now, the Bible, let's go back to the fundamental truth, the, the cornerstone of all civilization. This is the revelation of God to man. is confirming that, no, there must be punishment for crime. There must be justice for injustice, bringing things together. Now, it says, your eye shall not pity him. It is the humanity that's within us. Earlier, I just told us that every single person on the planet was a deceitfully wicked, broken sinner. That is true. But the Bible also tells us that we're made in the image of God. In the book of Romans, it says that even the non-believer has been given attributes that has been given a conscience to know within their heart what is right and is wrong. And when we see somebody who's being led up to the gallows on TV or on some video or some history, or we, we see a person that's been on death row for 25 years, and they're writing children's books, and they're teaching classes, and they're leading Bible studies, our heart yearns for mercy. 
Ah, oh, you know, maybe, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we should give them a break. But when you find out that they murdered 15 people or they hurt children or they did some despicable deed, there must be justice. Now, remember earlier, I already proved that none of us is a good judge of any of these things, right? Because I already explained my own hypocrisy, and I saw all of you, you all agreed that Tom should be flogged for, for getting in front of me on 170. I'm just a joke. And we showed the deceitfulness in our own heart. We want mercy sometimes, and we want revenge in the other. I am so grateful that our God is perfect in the heavens. He never gets it wrong. He never calls it wrong. His justice is perfect. His righteousness is supreme. Why is this so important? I'm I'm just keep going, stacking different levels. The deeper level is this. The God that most pastors are preaching, I shouldn't say most, that many, the God that many pastors are preaching is not righteous because he does not believe in judgment. The, 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 the God that many people are imagining and are, are trying to share does not have justice for iniquities. He doesn't punish. He's, he's just good to everybody. He loves everybody. Good things happen to everyone. The God of the Bible is going to pour out his wrath on all of the planet, and anyone who doesn't believe in his son will have the judgment of God upon them because he's a righteous judge. He doesn't look at... I was watching a video today it's on the news. It was a 16-year-old girl. She got punched in the face, dragged into a car by her hair, and they caught it on video or on a security camera. And the guy that was doing this to her had her in um, sexual trafficking. And so she was already being pimped out to strangers. Now, why would, why would a good God allow something like that to happen? The answer is, not for much longer. He's going to come back, and he's going to judge the world for all of its iniquities, not just that. And then the atheist says, well, you know, why does a good God allow that? Well, if there is no God and you're an atheist, why do you allow it? You need to go fix it then. You can't. You can't fix the deceitful heart. We're broken. We are, we are broken forever aside from our Savior. And that's where I want to make a right turn. You guys ready? Because we went one way. We built some foundational truths. We talked about justice, iniquity, righteousness. Let's talk about the true and the righteous judge. Let's talk about the God who is going to pour out his wrath upon the world. What happens to us? We're guilty. We're guilty. If you sin, you have fallen short of righteousness, and the punishment for sin is death. But Jesus Christ took our punishment because he is a righteous God. And all of our sins and all of our brokenness, he took it upon himself. Our punishment was poured out on him. And that's why the scripture tells us, by his stripes we are healed. That's how we can look in Isaiah and it says, it pleased God to harm his son. Because justice is found in Jesus. And that's how we can look at the cities of refuge in Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. And we can see, as David wrote in Psalm 46, 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Hey, listen, some of us are dealing with some real iniquity, some real problems, some real human problems, real sinfulness. And we're trying to go to the world for comfort, or we're trying to go to the bottle for comfort, or to drugs, or to movies, or to food, and we're trying to go to all these things for comfort. You're not going to find comfort in any of those things. It's found in God. He is our refuge. See, He's not just our refuge like going to a spa. Oh, He makes you feel good for a minute. No, He is a city of refuge, and He makes His way straight. Remember how it said here earlier in the text? Got to have a road. Got to have an easy access road that's close to get to the city of refuge. Jesus is ever-present. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we can come to the throne of God boldly through Him through his mercy, because he paid the price for us. So when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see our deceitfully brokenness. He doesn't see all my mistakes on 170 and all my sermon material comes from me getting cut off and road raged. No, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what? All those things that you did, you're guilty. But you're inside my city of refuge now. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. You're inside the town. No no one can come after you. You're, You're free. And not only do I have refuge in God, I have mercy from God. I have unmerited favor with God. I have a relationship with God who is just and righteous and holy, has perfect judgment. And he's going to make everything straight. He's going, to bring, he's going to level out every plane and all the mistakes and all the despicable evil things he's going to judge. But if you don't want that judgment on yourself, then receive the mercy of God. He poured it out on himself. The thing about God that is so fascinating to me is the understanding that he doesn't just forgive sins by you know, sweeping it under the rug. That's a, you know, an English term. It means that we're hiding something on the side. Like, it's still there, but nobody sees it. You like your junk drawer? I almost let out some family secrets there, but I won't. Junk drawers. I got in trouble the last time I did that. No, the Lord erases it. It is gone. He doesn't sweep our sins under the rug. He took the punishment for those sins because he's righteous and just. That means that if somebody hurts one of my children, boy, they're in trouble. But then they get saved and they repent before God. I'm not going to go to God and be like, what's your problem? You let that happen to my son and now he's in the family? No, he say, Mike, my son was murdered in punishment for what happened to your child. You say, oh, you are just. To the manslayer, to the person. So when we talk, the, the atheist loves, loves this analogy. So you're telling me that uh, the man on death row five minutes before he's executed can cry out to God for forgiveness and sincerity of his heart and be saved. Yes, I am. Because somebody else already took the death penalty for him took that punishment, was tortured, was separated from the Father because God is just. He doesn't let anything go. And then you realize, wow, how powerful, how great, how loving our God is. He is our city of refuge. 
All of that in Deuteronomy chapter 19. And all of this about the legal system too. Did you know that the legal system is evidence for the perfection of God and His mercy? Don't tell the lawyers that. They already think too highly of themselves. Well, let's read verses 14 through 21 in this chapter. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. In your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses. The matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do it to him as he thought to have done to his brother. Uh-oh. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So we have a couple of interesting things. Number one, 14, verse 14, private property. Very important. They're saying that if they put a fence line up, and they say, this is your tribes, this is that tribe. This is your family, this is my family. Remember, in its proper context here in the nation of Israel, land is more important than personal rights. Remember, you can't marry certain people from certain tribes. You have to keep it within your family because the land goes from generation to generation. So they have an entirely different legal code here. And so to move those markers is a big deal. But there is an application, a principle here for citizens of America. Private property is a foundational right in this country that we can say, this is my property and the government needs to stay off of it unless they have cause. One of the primary reasons for the Bill of Rights was so that the British could not come enter your private property and quarter their troops there. I think, I should have researched it, it's the Fourth Amendment. I'm not sure. We'll double check it. Whoever's on the Wikipedia already, thank you. That's how important it is. Private property. And to this day, our police are out there with one hand tied behind their back. They know the bad guys in the building. They know their stuff in the building. They can't go in the building because of private property. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing. And it's also good that they can get a warrant and they can go in there and they can check it out. But these things are important. They have consequences. You may be shaking your head like, why are we even talking about this? I'm telling you right now, they're after your private property rights. The enemy doesn't like any of these things. He wants to get rid of it. He doesn't, want to have punish, crime, he doesn't want to have punishment for crimes. He doesn't believe in deterrence. He, he wants to teach everybody that they're good, inherently good. He wants to get rid of private property. You know, anything that the Bible is, he wants the opposite and to make us think that good is evil and evil is good. 
And that's why we need the Word of God. It is our compass. It directs us. It keeps us in a sure foundation. So when the TV, the guy on the TV is telling you all these things, you're like, well, maybe they are right. They are, that guy's super smart. He has a PhD. And then you just read the Bible like every other Western person has for the last 500 years, and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense at all. Believe me, the Bible is right, and the talking head is wrong. I'm just giving you a little dose because I know every once in a while we start questioning ourselves, like, well, maybe, maybe the Bible's wrong this time. No. No. All right, so next one, verses 15 through 20. You need to have collaborating witnesses, corroborating witnesses, witnesses that are saying the same thing from different perspectives. The Lord thought it was important. He gave us four Gospels. And you'll see different details in each gospel because you have different eyewitness accounts corroborating, meaning they, they work together. They see it from a different perspective. They see different angles, but the same thing. And they say, you know what? That must have happened that way. Because it's almost like the Lord knows everything. Heavy dose of sarcasm, warning. And he, he knows that everyone's going to criticize that a man rose from the dead because it's impossible. Of course, it's a big deal. And so he has multiple eyewitnesses from multiple sources at different times with archaeological, historical, manuscript evidence on top of that eyewitness evidence to make sure that we all know this is the real deal. Well, the same thing needs to be true in the courts. But what happens when you have a witness that is lying? Well, why why would somebody do that? Because we're all deceitfully wicked sinners? And so it says that you have to have careful inquiry. The judges shall make careful inquiry. But if the witnesses are false, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this. If the witnesses can be false, can you have false judges? Can you have bad judges? Well, if there's people involved. Can you have bad police people? I guess, yeah, if they're deceitfully wicked, yeah. Could you have people that vote in people that have bad laws or that want to compromise with laws? Yeah. Could we have a bunch of laws on the books that aren't even being enforced? What what am I getting at here? Because we talked about these good systems and these good laws, and we talked about justice, and we talked about how there needs to be punishment and, and things need to be equal, and people that are innocent need to be found innocent, people that are found guilty need to be found guilty. But then we add this thing to the mix called people, and we mess everything up. And we start to wonder why things are going so far left so messed up because we need a savior we need a new heart we need to become new people i want to share this with you because it is a biblical principle these same laws are going to be found in the nation of israel in the book of judges the laws are still on the books love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength is written in this chapter is written multiple times obey this do this do this In the book of Judges, are are any of those laws going to be followed for 400 years? No. Only a few, and only when they feel like it. Why? Because in the book of Judges, it says, because every man did what was right in their own eyes. So it doesn't matter how good our system is. I I say it about America all the time. This is the best broken system we got in the planet. But if the people are corrupted... If the people ignore the laws, if the people don't cry out for justice, if the people are not interested in mercy or truth, it all falls apart. 
no matter how good the system is. That's why we need a, a great awakening. We need people to, we need a moving of God's spirit in our hearts. Now, verse 21, very famous, eye for an eye. Your eye shall not pity, life for be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In my liberal California public school education, they made sure to post Gandhi's quote everywhere. Well, an eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind. Yes. Yes, it does. It does. That's why we need a Savior. See, this is the law. The law has no mercy. What did the law say? The punishment for sin is death. Well, if you just believe that, then everyone will die. Exactly. That's why we needed a Savior. We need a Savior currently. We all need to find salvation in Jesus Christ. He said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. What is he saying? No one goes to heaven aside from salvation in Jesus Christ. Every human being, we're going to go into politically incorrect territory here, if we haven't already, and go to straight biblical truth. Any human being that doesn't confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior is damned to hell. Eternal punishment. Because God is a righteous judge. He is a righteous God. And if you sin, you are separated from God. But he made a way of salvation. And he'll make us a new believer. He'll give us, he'll take the stony heart and give us a heart of flesh. Also know that God is limiting. Touch my family. Take somebody of my, take the eye of someone in my family. I'm not coming for your eye. No. I hope there's good police officers in this case. So the law restricts. But remember when Jesus was asked about this himself, they, Gandhi conveniently forgot this in his quote. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, what does Jesus say? You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So which one is it? This is a contradiction. No, no, no. No, absolutely not. The law is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What Jesus is saying is, but you don't have to execute that law. What's, a, what's an example of this? When the woman that was caught in adultery was brought to Jesus... They wanted to stone her. What does the law say? They said, the law says we can stone her. Well, what does the law also say? The law said that there has to be two witnesses that will declare that law. And what did Jesus start doing? He started riding in the dirt. Now, he could have been like, yeah, that's the law. Give me the rock. Jesus still would have been perfect. He still would have been following the law. But he starts riding in the dirt, and everyone starts to disappear. So what is the first words, good Jewish scholar, that Jesus is out of his mouth? Where are your accusers? There are none, Lord. Now, Jesus could have said, you're a, you're a guilty sinner. And you need to believe in me now because I'm going to die for those sins. I'm going to take this punishment for you. But Jesus didn't say that. What did he say? He said, and I also do not accuse you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He didn't execute the law. Didn't need to be. We can turn the cheek. 
I tell you now, though, that you can't turn the cheek, not in your flesh. I just gave you a bunch of examples. If you want to see the worst side of me, if you want to see the craziest side of me, come near my family. And you will see a side of me, you'll be like, that guy's not even saved. But there's a Holy Spirit. When you read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you, and you read about in England when they were... They had the, an inquisition there. They were burning people at the stake. And you hear what these people said from the cross, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Lord, I pray for their souls. As they're being burned alive, I tell you now, that's not humanly possible. And yet we have multiple eyewitness accounts recording these events. So if it's not humanly possible, how did it happen? The grace of God, His Holy Spirit came, he made Himself strong so that we can have an English text Bible here and a language that we can understand. God miraculously moved in those situations. And so, as benign as it seems when I'm in traffic and I have an incident where I'm being tested, I need to walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I am far from perfect. Far, far from it. I thought I heard an amen from this section right here. But that being said, we still have to fight that fight. We still have to yield to the Spirit. And that's what Paul tells us, remember? That which I will to do, that I do not. But that which I will not to do, that I do. He said there's a war, there's a spiritual war inside of us. We still have real problems for real life, but the Spirit of God will move inside of us as we follow after Jesus, as we yield to Him and His working, as we yield to His Word, just, just like tonight. As we're reading through Deuteronomy chapter 19, we're reminded of fundamental truths. We're reminded of the Word of God. It's being stirred up inside of our hearts. And so in the week's chaos, when you hear some weird bit of news about some law that they want to throw out, they want to let all the murderers go because they're all really good people inside, we'll say, no. No, my eye shall not have pity. God has mercy, but He has justice. And His grace has been given to them, but there's still to be justice. And then, if it's happening inside your own family, if it's, it's something you're dealing with, go to Jesus. He's the city of refuge. Rest in Him. You know, yes, something happened. An incident happened. It was devastating. The world's judging you. People are after you. Go to Jesus. He's your city of refuge. Flee to Him like a bird to the mountains, the psalm says. Because just like that adulterous woman, he will forgive you. He still will love you and comfort you, even in his mercy and justice. And when you say you're not deserving of any of it, he knows. Whatever punishment there was, he took on the cross. And he'll walk with you through any valley of darkness. Well, let's spend the rest of this evening as we do, just praying, interceding for one another, praying for this nation, praying for our leaders, the Bible tells us to do so interceding for one another, um, praying for those that are sick, that are being healed or are recovering, praying for our missionaries, for Peru, for Roatan. Let's go before them. Lord, we thank you so much. We have so much to pray for tonight. We thank you that you are a God of justice, but you're also a God of mercy. We thank you that you're perfect, and we pray that you would continue to teach us, to change us, and to direct us every day in Jesus' name. Amen.